my uh, my wife said something this morning that I thought was she gets mad when I do this, by the way. So, um, but uh, said that she she wore her steel-toed boots uh, this morning. So, um, uh, just because I had mentioned to her numerous times throughout the week that uh, there probably will be some toes stepped on at least throughout this class, and that's kind of what Ecclesiastes did. But she also said this morning that after reading through Ecclesiastes again. Uh, that it didn't seem quite so harsh after last week's class, and it, and that's the point. Uh, it's you know, and, and I, I've made this statement before: is that if you, whenever you talk to people and they get very frustrated and say, "Oh, you know, the God of the Old Testament was just this angry God who was always vengeful," to me that is a really good indication that they don't, they've never really read the Old Testament, and they've never really read the whole Bible as a whole. They don't understand the whole premise of everything. And because they, they just don't, they're, they're just reading small bits and pieces. Ecclesiastes is very much the same way. Once you really start to dig into it, you start to realize where he is coming from when he writes this and what he's talking about and how it can be a really wonderful set of advice. And it's not just a, well, all is just vanity and everything is just meaningless. That's really not at all what it is that he's doing. So, uh, and so that's uh, kind of some hopefully. Um, Hopefully you guys were able to, to read through uh, Ecclesiastes this week, and at least do part of it, if not all of it, and hopefully it, uh, it continue, you're able to continue to do that. So, um, so last week we looked at the kind of the overall generality of Ecclesiastes, the overall brushstroke of, of Ecclesiastes, that kind of where the, the, the idea of where it's going, and what we're going to be looking at, where we're going to be going with it. And so this week, and over the next three or four weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at individual activities, one or two of them each week, and, uh, and, and looking at them as a, a specific idea. And is it possible to look for meaning in those and what the writer talks about and uh, where we go and how. And then after that, we're going to look at um, what if all life is meaningless, then where do we go? What do we do in order to live a happy, successful life in this world of vanity? And... Um, and so that's kind of what the, the how we're going to progress through here uh, through this class. The uh, as Christians, we often talk about how we are not totally focused on things other than God. That God is always first, and everything else comes second. And rightfully shows. So that's exactly what we should be. And that's exactly what we should be doing. But the question is, is that do we truly believe? that every one of those aspects of our lives are not where our focus is. It's not where we are searching for meaning. You know, it's uh, it's probably was somewhat of a struggle last week, uh, at least if it is for me. When I first started reading this class and I first read uh, Coy's book, I uh, it was a struggle for me to think about that life just seems to be meaningless. It doesn't have a lot of focus to it, at least, at least that's where it seems when you first start reading through this. And that can be hard to do. And then we haven't even looked at specific activities yet. We haven't even looked at the specific aspects or part of, of life. You know, but it's also interesting that even though we, that is kind of hard to swallow, that we haven't, when we haven't even looked at specific activities, it's, uh, we, we do tend to rank those activities. We rank the activities as to what is the most important down to what is really not that important in our lives. Um, you know, and again, the idea here is that we're going to explore both of those. We're going to explore the, the ideas of the broad stroke um, concept, you know, that is, is this an aspect of life that we, we put focus on? And then we're going to try to delve into more specific aspects 
of each one of those. You know, I would guess that each one of you, if I were to ask you, where do you rank pleasure or, or entertainment on your, you know, on your importance scale? Do you, do you put it really high? Do you put it really low? I would guess most of you probably put it low, pretty, pretty low, or at least vocally. You would say, well, you know, God's up here and you know, entertainment's like way down here. But the question is, and, and that's a broad stroke idea. The question, though, is if you start looking at specifics, you get into specific pieces of activities, specific pieces of life, do you have the same response? For example, would you be willing to sacrifice the happiness of your kids or your grandkids for Christ? Would you be willing to sacrifice books, all books, for Christ? Now, understand, whenever I say sacrifice, is we're going to make this point a lot as we go through this class, I'm not talking about giving them up. I'm not saying that your ultimate goal in life should be to make your kids miserable. Right? That's not what I'm saying. But <laughs> we, we do that naturally. But, uh, the, but the point is, would you be willing to acknowledge that those are things in vanity? That they are vapor. They're, they're meaningless. They don't affect anything. Okay? Would you be willing to acknowledge that? As we go through this. Now, uh, it's important to understand where this class and where the writer of Ecclesiastes is going. And, and like I said, we, we should have an idea of that every, there should be something in this book. You should have already kind of started to look through and find things in Ecclesiastes that is kind of make you squirm. That make you like, ah, this is a, this, I'm not sure I like where this is going or what it's saying, if you really delve into it. And like I said, and like the writer of Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon, or whoever you want to put as the writer on this, this is, their goal was to try to kind of step on toes and make you feel uncomfortable as you're trying to acknowledge where your focus should be. Let's go back to the, uh, the idea of books. When I say, you know, would you acknowledge that books, reading books, for the most part, is meaningless? Now, what if I even said Christian books? Okay, this is the whole class, for the most part, is based on this. Uh, some people are really going to struggle with the idea of books as meaningless. But, the, the, even this, this is meaningless. Okay, and let me explain what I mean. When you say meaningless... Uh, I'm going I'm to explain, I'm going to explain. When I say meaningless, this, we don't need this. Okay, we don't need this. We need this. We don't need this. Is this helpful? Yes. Is it beneficial? Sure. Do we need it? No. We need this. This is what leads to God. And God is what gives us meaning. So this is what we need. Now, am I telling you don't read these? Absolutely not. That's not the point. The point is, is that are you willing to acknowledge that we have one focus? Because sometimes it's really easy to broad stroke over things. It's really easy to be like, well, of course I don't put entertainment above God. But then whenever you start breaking it into details, into little pieces, sometimes some of those, well, but I do consider that to be really, really important. You know, when we're thinking about this idea, this concept that I'm going through, and this is just my, my intro on this, you keep this in mind. These are concepts, these are not my opinion, all right? These are coming from God's inspired word. All right, I'm not just saying, like, I think you should believe this. This is where it's coming from him. So I want you to think about this. This is kind of our theme. If meaning can be found in anything other than God, then your focus will not be, will be on that and not on God. 
If meaning can be found in anything other than God, your focus will be on that and not on God. Okay? No matter where you put it. And I would argue that that point is everything under the sun. Okay? Everything under the sun. That that would include family. That would include east side family. And I argue it's like, well, no, east side family is, we're here for God. Okay? Here is what, how I would respond to that. It's important to remember that we are here to focus on God, not on Eastside's work. We're here to focus on God. And I think that's where a lot of denominations and a lot of Christian churches in, in particular get in trouble. I think the Catholic Church is a perfect example of that, where they focus on, in the name of God themselves. Right? They just went through the big voting with the Southern Baptist Convention. Right? That's a perfect example of this. They're doing this in the name of God, but they are focusing on themselves. Right? Why they all got together and voted on what God says, I don't really understand that. Why couldn't you just send out an email and say, read the Bible? Okay? The point is, is that we need to take a step back and realize where our focus really is. What are we really focusing on? And that's, that's what the whole premise of this is. This, none of this is about trying to tell you you should stop this or start this or don't do this. This is all about where your focus is. That's all it's about. All of Ecclesiastes is about your mental and your spiritual focus. Okay, so let's move into our first activity. Have you ever, um, you ever thought, whenever you're asked, what do you do? What do you do for a living? How do you answer that? Okay. Mine's difficult because I drive and then I fix computers. <laughs> uh, so you fall in the, into the, I can't really give my title because nobody knows what that means. Well, and so I, well, but if you give it, everybody's like, okay. Um, customer service. Of, uh, customer yeah, so you have to you give more of a description. That's what my wife and I are both in this. I had, I had her tell me she's the director of family preservation services. <laughs> okay, that doesn't mean anything unless you understand what she's doing. The point is, I mean, you could definitely respond. I'm a, I'm a teacher, I'm a doctor, I'm a nurse, I'm a lawyer, I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm a salesman, I'm a, you know, whatever. Okay, these are, these are all titles, and, and rightfully so, but why don't we answer, you know, what do you do? I'm a Christian. Okay, what do you do for a living? Well, you know, I spend my time trying to go out in the world and sharing the good news of Christ to anybody I can find. Why don't we answer like that? Now, you might say, well, that's not really what they're asking. And you're, you're right. That's not what they're asking. However, isn't that a really good example of where our priorities sit in our society? It's a, we identify by our jobs, by our careers. They, they're what define us. It's not unusual for people to get upset, for people to, get, to lose hope when they retire. Right? Because you've lost your identity. You've lost who you are. And, and that's, that is not unusual at all. And again, it's because job gives us meaning. Yes? I was going to say, that's a little bit more of a masculine perception of what identity comes from. A female perspective, usually if you hear women introduce themselves, it's, oh, do you, have, do you have a family? Do you have children? Do you have a husband? And so women can sometimes tend to get a little more um, trapped into the identity coming from their family perspective and what their identity is of a wife or a mother. Okay, interesting. If you could hear that, Amanda said that uh, that 
B, identifying in your career or your job as a more masculine view, okay, I would agree with. And then on the feminine side of that, you're typically, you're, you're often more likely to respond with a, uh, a family response. You know, who are you, what do you do, and you respond with a, more of a definition of your family and who they are. Yes? That can be seen when you're going home from church and I say, hey, I talked to so-and-so and Amanda was, did you ask him this? No. Did you ask him this? No. Did you ask him this? And you're like, Every did time. you really talk to him? <laughs> I got his name and I know what he does for a living. That's it. Yeah, I got his name and I got to know what he did. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So another point that I think is interesting is your point. If somebody asks you what you do, how you respond is different, but how, how often does somebody say, or say, hey, are you a Christian? Because of the way they saw you acting or behaving, not asking you what to do, but mm. identified, but they identified you without asking you. Yep. I mean, I, I've had that happen like twice last week. Yep. Hey, you appear to be a Christian. Do you? And I'll be like, well, I attend Church of Christ, and this is, but you know, yeah. how does that happen to you? Yeah. you and I think that falls very much back into where our focus is, because how you act at work is maybe not how you act here, which is not good, and. People, you know, people will, or maybe you do act at work like you do here. And that's why people identify you or look at that. So absolutely, absolutely. So, um, I lost my place. Uh, Ecclesiastes calls this toil or labor. Uh, the, uh, however, it's, pretty, it's made very clear in Ecclesiastes that work then and work today are the same thing. People live to work and they work to live. Uh, that's, that's the, the, nothing has really changed in that respect. And uh, in chapter 1 and verse 3 says, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So we're going to be looking at some different points, some different aspects of work, of toil, and, and how these, why these should not be our focus, why we should not put focus on this. And, and we go through, we're going through a number of points with the idea of trying to find different ways to, to look at job or work in some way. So um, I'm going to be reading through uh, a few verses. You're welcome to follow along. I don't have time to, to spend too much on, um, you know, as we flip to them. So, uh, but uh, pretty much everything will come through chapter two, uh, one, two, three, and four for the most part. That's a little bit out of that on occasion. So if you want to kind of be there. Uh, chapter two and 22 says, what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, his work is a vexation, even in the night his, his heart does not rest, this also is vanity. You work long hours, you bring stress home with you, the stress keeps you up at night, and then what? You do it again the next day. You do it again the next day. Chapter 4 and verse 7 says, And again I saw vanity under the sun, one person who does no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he, he never asks, asks, For whom am I toiling to pride myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and unhappiness, an unhappy business. We, we, uh, we like to call that a workaholic. Someone who never, they're just, they, that's, that's who they are. They just keep working and working and working. Uh, this person works themselves to death and doesn't even know why. Don't even know why they're doing it. You know, there's a lot of social and psychological implications to people who work like this. But there's also a lot of spiritual problems with this, too. There's a lot of spiritual issues with this. There's, there's nothing wrong with something in your job that has just become so stressful in that one finite time that you're like, somebody comes up and you're like, hey, could you teach a class in a, week, a month or so? And you're like, I, I don't, you know, I just got so much going on. That's very understandable. 
But if that's your reasoning every single time, if you never stop doing that, it doesn't have to be in class. Whatever your reasoning is, it's always because you have so much going on at work, you just can't. Okay? That's where you need to take a step back and try to evaluate where is your focus. You know, if you're looking for meaning in life, it often looks like this. It often looks like the idea of long hours, you know, stress, building riches, building riches for nothing. And this is kind of going back to our theme. If your focus is here and not on God, your relationship with God will suffer. Okay? If uh, in chapter 6 and verse 7, uh, it says, uh, when, because uh, Ecclesiastes affirms a lot that we should work and that you should be, that, that's kind of the premise that we're here. Uh, in, in chapter 6, verse 7, it says, All the toils of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. If you look back again at chapter 4, verse 8, where we just read from, uh, it says his eyes are never satisfied with riches. The problem with this is the idea that we're never satisfied. You know, we have to learn that just making more will not make us happier. Jesus tells someone that in, in, in Luke 12, right before he goes to the parable of the rich fool, they come up and ask, he says, Teacher, will you tell my brother to split the inheritance? And he responds by, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Okay, the problem with more is better, or the, the grass is always green on the other side of the hill, it's not about abundance, but it's the delusion that it's going to bring you happiness. That's where the problem comes in. It's important to remember... This what we talked about earlier, this the, the broad stroke idea, because so again, I think some of you are like, but I really just don't put a focus on work. I really don't. You know, work is something that I have to do, but I, I don't put a focus on that. But again, if you break it into details, sometimes you things become a little more difficult. Because right now we're talking about money. But what if we put it in safety and security? Your job is because this is what's going to help your family be safe and secure, and so you focus on that. Because your safety and security, it's not about money, it's about, hey, if your focus is on anything other than God, God's really, your relationship with God will suffer. Okay, that's a, that is the, the, simple, the simple answer. Chapter 2 and verse 10 says, And what, uh, whatever my eyes desired and not keep from them, I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expanded in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Um, you ever heard the phrase, they don't make them like they used to? <laughs> yeah, so we usually put that with, you know, things that were built of, of days past. You know, it's like, oh, they were just so much better built in that. Here's, and that's, that's not wrong, that's, that's, that's typically true, but this is really more of a condemnation of things like consumerism, advertisement, and greed than it is on whether things were just made better. You see, back today, we, we're not making things. We're not worse at making things today. People are like, well, we just don't understand how to make things today. Yes, they do. They know how to make things today. Right? But the thing is, the people making it are not the problem. We're the problem. Let me give you an example. You ever had the, the microwave go out, you know, like in, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning on Thanksgiving Day, you know, or whatever, or right before that big meal and you need that microwave, and somebody in the house makes a statement, they just don't make them like they used to, is you're taking the microwave and throwing it away. But then you get in the car, you drive to Walmart, and then you get equally as angry when that microwave is not sitting on the shelf ready for you to pick up. You see, we want things built cheaper and faster because we want them available right now. We get mad whenever Amazon doesn't have next day shipping on something because we want it right now. 
That's the problem is things were made better back then because they were made in a way that you didn't have a ton of them sitting on the shelf. They were made in a way that people would buy one and that was it. We don't do that anymore because that's not what we want. We want a lot of things. It's the reason why the fastest growing industry in the country is storage facilities. Because we have a ton of stuff. Right? You know, and sometimes though, and again, looking at a different detail, sometimes the things that we're constantly looking for are not physical. How many streaming services do you have? Okay? And I, I don't I, I will not answer that question. I plead a bit. Okay? So and again, understand, this is, none of this is meant to be a condemnation on anything. This is about looking at where your focus is. Nobody's telling you you need to go home and cancel all your subscriptions. That's not what I'm saying. This is about where your, your focus is. Again, if your focus is here and not on God, your relationship with God will suffer. Okay. Speaking of phrases, when I was in high school, uh, there was a clothing brand that was relatively popular. Uh, it's actually, I found it's actually still around. I didn't know this. But uh, it was relatively popular. It was called No Fear was the, the clothing brand. It was mostly a sports brand. It was a streetwear kind of brand. But they were known for their iconic phrases. And I actually had a shirt that said, he who dies with the most toys still dies. Okay? Um, which, you know, it was, it was funny and everything, but it was actually pretty profound when you think about it. It definitely has a scriptural connotation to it. And so uh, I'm going to look at some of these again. If you're looking at chapter 4, verse 8, we pull from this a lot. Um, it talks about one person who has no other either brother or either son or brother. You know, sometimes we will work hard for our whole lives only to realize that our entire wealth, the entire success, everything we built goes to, to no one. In uh, chapter 2 and verse 21, it says, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. We work forever to try to build our build our inheritance, to build success, to build something to pass on, and the person you're giving it to did not work at all for what you have done. You're giving it to somebody who doesn't deserve it, you might say. Uh, chapter 2 and verse 18-19, I hated all my toil in which I told unto the son, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he, is the, he will be master of all for which I toiled and use my wisdom under the sun. We work our entire lives, and you have no idea who's going to get it. Or maybe you do know who's going to get it, and you're not big, real happy on who's going to get it. Right? <laughs> who's going to get all of that? The point of this is that it's discouraging to think sometimes how hard we work knowing. Maybe it's not inheritance. Maybe it's you're, you're about to retire, and you know who's coming in behind you. And you know that they are going to just demolish everything that you built. Okay, because they're not you, and that's hard to to give up. Hey, Ryan? Yes. The version of the Bible, I, you keep talking about vanity. I mm -hmm. looked it up because I can go to the New James, King James Version also, but it uses the word futility. Mm -hmm. Futility. Is there a difference between those No, it's, it's all the same thing. Vanity, futility, uh, meaningless, pointlessness, vapor, it's all, it's, it's all, yeah, it all comes in the same Thing. That's a, that's, I actually like futility better, personally, but um, vanity tends to open up my mind as to where, I'm, where, where this is looking at it. It makes sense, trust me. Well, vanity um, is uh, personal to me. Futility is everyone sees it and says, okay, why is he doing that for? Yeah, that's very good. That's very true. That's very true. You know, the, the point here that we're talking about is that, um, again, is that we're not saying that, the, that you shouldn't work. 
You shouldn't try to build, scrimp, and save, and 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 try to uh, to have you know, put things for the future and, and save an inheritance for your family, your kids, and things like that. It's not it's not saying you shouldn't do that, but the point here is that if we if we put our focus here, if our, if our meaning is in our jobs, we're not going to find it. You know, there's a quote, and I've heard this a bunch of times, and I actually the last time I heard it, I think I actually came from Steve Harvey, which is really weird. Um, why I was listening to him, Steve Harvey, I have no idea, but. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure it was a short on YouTube. It was like an interview. But anyways, he, he, he repeated a quote that I've heard before and I really like. And when talking about inheritance for your kids and for your family, it's not what you leave to them. It's what you leave in them. Okay? That, is the, th- that is a much better way of looking at uh, where we should do that. And if your focus is on God, you're going to be more likely to focus on what you leave in them, not what you leave to them. Okay? That's the important piece of this. So I want to ask you a question. I, I, I want to ask you in this next section, I want to ask a, uh, a, a question. This is, this is where I had to, you know, I have to interject something history in there. I have to. What is the most important invention in human history? If you had to pick one, you had to pick one invention that changed human history more than any other, or is, is connected to more piece of human history ever, what would you pick? Printing press. Printing press. Okay. Say it again. Electricity. Electricity? Um, harnessing electricity. That's a pet peeve of mine, sorry. Well, if, if yeah, we didn't invent electricity. God invented electricity, but, but we did harness it. Bread. Say it again. Sliced bread because nothing sliced is bread. better than sliced bread. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. The statement, there's nothing better than sliced bread. It's got to be the best. Yeah, you compare so. everything to sliced yeah. bread. The wheel. Sure. Wheel. Okay, so let me give you mine. And I'll give you a, a quick little synopsis. I, again, I'm the teacher. I stand up here, so I get to get my, my reasoning. Uh, the clock. Okay. Did we invent time? No. But does every single thing, everything, I, I challenge you to try to come up with something that is not somehow affected by the clock. You won't find it on many top ten lists of inventions of all time, but it is definitely one of the most profound inventions of all time. One of the biggest things that always kind of makes me laugh when we talk about, we talk, we go back and we look at the crucifixion. And it will say, it was like the, you know, the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour. And you always get somebody, well, you know, that was about noon. Not to them. It was the sixth hour. It wasn't noon. They didn't know what noon was. Right? They didn't know what three o'clock in the afternoon was. That's not how their world worked. It wasn't until 1350 or so, whenever they invented the clock, when everything changed. And now, instead of everything being in a broad aspect of days or in weeks or months, everything now becomes extremely finite. And it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse, especially once you get to the 1700s and pocket watches become very popular. And now you have to look at the big clock tower in your town. Now everybody can have a clock and everybody knows if you're late or not. And everything we do now, everything we do now is based on time. Clock. Yes? Was it by a teacher? (laughs) <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I honestly cannot answer that. I do not know who admitted it. I would venture to say no, but, uh, but I don't know. But that's, that's, that's very good. So, okay. So, um, if you look in chapter one, we don't have time to read through all this. I wish we did, but we don't. But I want to skim through very quickly uh, chapter one, three through ten. And it, where, this is where he goes to the very, very good, very uh, well-written poem which says, What does man gain by all the toil that he toils under the sun? 
A generation goes and a generation comes by the earth remain, but the earth remains forever. He goes through and he explains that everything is just cyclical. It just keeps going and going. Everything goes. Water pours into the ocean, but it never gets bigger. The, the, the ocean winds, it comes from one side, it goes to the other, circles back around, it comes down again. It's just always there. And the last verse of this is where it's important. Is there a thing of which is, is, is said? See, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. All right, there's nothing new under the sun. Everything has always been here. Everything will always be here. Nothing has changed. Now, you might say, look, we just got through talking about famous inventions. Those are obviously new. Okay, here's my response today. Here's my question. Do any of those inventions we talked about, these world-changing inventions, do any of them affect anything in God's plan? Not the world, but in God's plan. Did he change his plan because someone invented the, the clock or the wheel or sliced bread? Okay? He did not. If you threw out all of those inventions, nothing would change. Not in God's plan. Those inventions are for us. They're man-made for us. They're tools. In essence, a computer and a shovel are exactly the same thing. One's a lot more complicated, but they basically are both tools for us to make things a little more uncomfortable, a little bit easier. But if you look at chapter 1 and verse 15, it says, What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. We cannot alter or change God's plan. No matter how great our invention is, we cannot change his plan. We shouldn't try. We should focus on what it is and focus on moving towards it, not trying to change it based on things that we do. If you look at in chapter 3, the, the very famous the Seasons passage there, he goes on after that and says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. He says the same thing in chapter 7, basically saying that what is made straight, uh, what God has made straight, who can make uh, crooked, and vice versa. It, it is a, uh, you, you cannot change what this is, Ecclesiastes says that our efforts make little difference because God decides what will happen, and we are not able to change his mind. And we shouldn't try to do that. Life goes on. Life goes on. And chapter 6, verse 10, whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known that man, what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? And he goes on with that. To argue against one's fate, to argue against where your life is going, is pointless. We, because, And here's the reason it's pointless. is because we have no idea what tomorrow brings. We know what God's plan brings tomorrow because we have hope anchored in heaven. But we have no idea what our life is. Like, but I've got to work, and so I can raise this, you know, i got to have a future. You have no idea what your future holds. No idea. But we do know where God's plan sits. That we do not have to worry about. So, the, again, the whole point of this, the whole point of this idea, is kind of hard to accept sometimes whenever it comes to God's plans. Especially whenever you're talking, is there really no meaning in everything that I do? Many of us in here work in professions or in jobs that involve helping people. So you're like, does that mean that everything I do is just pointless? It's just meaningless? Again, it's important to remember, this is inspired advice for God from life. Solomon, or the writer here, did not know about Christ whenever he was writing this. 
But God did. He knew what was happening. He knew what was coming. And so he was giving advice on how we can live so that we can focus on finding Christ. If our focus is on God and our search for truth in him and his word, everything else becomes easier. It becomes clearer. It becomes easier to be able to, to understand. The last point in this, if you can flip back to chapter 1 and verse 11, uh, and this is one that, a point that actually has become a little more... Something. I'm thinking battery. I don't know. Oh, it's still green, isn't it? Yep. Okay. Eh, we'll talk through. Um, so if um, the, the last point, and this is one that has become a lot more prominent in our culture today. Uh, chapter 1 and verse 11 says, There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who, who come after. You know, last week I talked about the game that I was like to play with my students where, where they would, uh, we would talk about basketball players in decades, you know, and they had to keep going back in decades and they had to keep telling the, uh, the, the you know, name me, you know, 10 basketball players from the 1970s or something. And they got to where less and less they could do that. It's a, the simple answer is we forget, you know, even the most influential writers, the most influential, you know, inventors, I, I my biggest thing is the clock. I could not tell you who invented it. And, but uh, the uh, you know inventors and scholars and and, and writers, we the, even the most influential in the world, the ones everybody knows their name. These people are often mislabeled, misquoted, and misunderstood. If I could say it was like I'm sure you've all heard of Plato and Socrates and Aristotle, right? Can you tell me anything they wrote? Can you tell me anything specific in their writings? Can you tell me anything about their lives? Can you tell me about the influences they would have had that would cause them to write the way they did? Can you tell me anything beyond maybe the one writing or title of a book or a title of a poem or something like that? The point is, even the most influential, even the most famous, are often lost. I, I, said, I said last week, it's kind of a profound thought process, and I had someone come up and mention this later, just had never really thought of this, but it's not, we're not too far down the road for people who are not going to know who Hitler is. You may think, how is that even possible? And that's because I guarantee you, go out, and you could probably ask our teens and our young kids here if they know who Joseph Stalin was, and they have no idea. Okay? And if you don't know much about Joseph Stalin, he was not far behind it. Okay? So the, uh, the, the point is, is that even people that you think will never be forgotten will never repeat that again. Okay? It, it will happen. A lot of people in, uh, in our culture today who do not have hope in an afterlife, who do not have hope in something to, or a, a belief in an afterlife, they don't have hope. They, they, they look for what in history we were, they refer to as immortality and remembrance. The idea is that you do something so profound, you become so famous that the world will always remember you. That's how you get your immortality, is that you are never forgotten. But uh, the problem is that this is a trap. Everybody is eventually forgotten. You know, but here's the thing. We have hope that exists after, after death. We have no reason to wish for immortality. We don't need to be so successful in our jobs that people will remember us. I, I really like what Coy wrote in his book. Uh, if you've been reading through this, he wrote one little portion there. This said, he was in my, when I was young, all of the scholars, all of the preachers, the ministers, the writers, the people who are writing commentaries, they, they, we, I thought they would never be forgotten. 
Now I talk to young preachers and no one knows who they are. Okay? I'm sure all of you have people that you grew up reading and learning from who nobody knows who they are. Because, But the thing is, we don't need to worry about that because as long as our names are written in the book of life, that's all that matters. Amen. We can be happy in the knowledge that Christ will see us into heaven. That's all that matters. Okay? We don't need to worry about whether we're successful here. You know, there is an alternative to, uh, to all of this, and this is a part, especially in American culture, which is really hard to swallow. Uh, chapter 4, verse 6 says, better, full, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. The alternative is that we can just settle for less. You don't need the things, all the things we've talked about. You don't need any of that. We can settle for less if that's what you need. If you're struggling with your job being your focus in any way, shape, or form, settle for less. You can do that. Uh, you know, in our culture, that's almost like that's like bad words. To say settle for less. We we just we do not believe that way. It is better than having it all and being miserable. You know, the writer points out numerous times this. Chapter two, verse twenty-four says, "There is nothing better for a person than he should eat, drink, and find enjoyment in his toil." If you like what you're doing, it doesn't matter how much you're making or how successful you are or how prominent you are famous you are, if you're working and you're, you're filled, I'm, I'm just blessed in what I'm able to do. Chapter 3 says, and verse 12 says, I perceive that there is nothing better than, for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Chapter 3, verse 22, so that I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot who can bring him to see what will be after him. Okay? Our goal is that we should spend our lives doing something worthwhile, for there is nothing better. Okay? That's where our goal is, where our focus is. So, before I uh, kind of go through a little bit of a conclusion here, just kind of wrap up, do you have any comments or questions? I have a little bit of time for that. Any, any thoughts? On any of this when it comes to to work yes Wanda I think this is interesting depending upon the stage of life that you're in because if it were our teenagers to study this I don't think they would have a concept of what even to think about what's yet to come Absolutely. And I will add to that that I think that if you are retired, you're going to have a very different perspective than someone who is in the middle of their career. Um, the wisdom that you have to look back and realize what someone who is someone who's in the middle of their career may not realize yet. And that's a, uh, I think you're absolutely right in that. Um, and that's something that if, if, depending on where your stage in life, and if this, maybe this class doesn't really affect you that much, you didn't really step on any toes, you're not really, okay, it's, it's not really, this didn't really affect you. We're not done. Okay? We're, we're going to keep going through uh, different aspects uh, of this. We're going to be looking at, at wisdom or knowledge. We're going to be looking at uh, pleasure or entertainment. Uh, we're going to look at, which is, pleasure or entertainment is one that I think a lot of people get side, blindsided by. They think that's one that we definitely kind of broad stroke over and be like, well, of course I don't find that way. 
yet we are so quick to kind of shoot some of those small aspects of entertainment pretty high on the list, and we don't even realize it, what we're doing um, on that. But uh, we're, again, we're going to be looking at uh, uh, other, quite a few different aspects uh, before we are done. So, you know, peace and contentment in life, are, are these are God's gift to us. This is something that, that we, we can hopefully kind of strive for. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 26, it says, For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. Again, understand, that's, meant, that's advice based on your mentality. It doesn't mean that sinners are going to be the ones who collect and give us things. If we're not sinners, that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that if you are a sinner, if you're not focusing on God, if your life is outside of God, then all you're doing is just working. And you're working for something that doesn't really matter. It doesn't exist for you. There's no meaning in it. But if we're focusing on God, okay, if we're focusing on and please understand what I'm saying, I'm not saying that if you're focusing on God, you're not sinning. That, that's, not, that's not what I'm saying. But if you're focusing on God, then we have the wisdom and knowledge that he gives us, because we can read this, and we can remember, we can understand, this is inspired, it's his word, he's telling us what to think, and or what to to look at, how to think, I should say. He's telling us how to think of life. If you look at this being written before Christ, it gives you some comfort realizing that Christ came, so when we have our shortcomings, we have that now. Whereas this being written before, it's like, well, I'm never going to make it. I mean, if you think about it. Yep, so. that's, I, I 100% means. So I 100%. reading it in today's time, knowing Christ is so much different than people reading this time. 100%, I agree with that 100%. If you didn't hear that, uh, David said that there, you know, this was written before Christ. And so those who would have read this before Christ came, this would have been a significantly bigger struggle for them. For us, we have knowledge in the fact that we have Christ who can redeem us. And so when we do find these shortcomings, these, these, we fall down, we know that we have him to, to, to lean on in that, which is, which is absolutely true. You know, there's, uh, again, success begins with the idea of living life, a life that pleases God. Uh, the, the, the writer gives a definition of success that is different from the one we hear and are often seen demonstrated today. Okay, work today and, and what's considered success today. That was always a fun class in my, whenever I would teach students is, you know, what do you consider success? It's, it's interesting what they say, what they consider success. And, and, and in our society today, we have a very, very different view. God has a very different view of what success is. Success is serving God, finding enjoyment in life. But he gives us in what we do. This is an idea that is echoed uh, later, many, many times. Um, but Jesus said, obviously, he always says it best. But Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, if we do this, then we are truly successful in life. It's our, our, our focus comes to somewhere else, goes to somewhere else, which is very, very important. So next week, uh, we're going to keep moving forward. I haven't decided yet whether we're going to follow on the book or if we're going to kind of flip. Uh, we're either going to be looking at entertainments. Uh, they call it the Ecclesiastes calls it pleasure, but basically entertainment. Or if we're going to be looking at uh, wisdom and knowledge idea, is there a reason why you don't want that next week? I won't be here next week, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> Tracy's back here doing this. I was I was curious if that step was. Step on toes, then. Huh? You'll step on toes, then. Oh, oh well. Unfortunately, we're going to cover both one way or the other. It's just going to matter which order we're going to. 
to go in. So I appreciate your comments I, and your thoughts, and I encourage you to, again, uh, go back, read Ecclesiastes, try to read through it and, uh, each week, and that is a, hopefully this will give you a little better understanding, make it a little easier to, uh, to swallow and to, to think about. So have a wonderful, wonderful Lord's Day. Thank you.